Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. Today's teaching comes from Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Thanks. Good morning. It's good to be here, is it not? Yeah. So um, this summer... We've been going through the Psalms, and this is our sixth week in the Psalms. And last week, uh, Daniel spoke, and he talked about how the Psalms can actually be a good way for us to pray. And he actually invited us to pray the Psalms, because sometimes we might have this deep feeling in our heart, and maybe we don't quite have the right words, but we come to the Psalms, and it's like, yes, that's it. That's what I've been trying to say and we can pray those words. And so for the last few weeks, I've been trying to do that. Take maybe one or two verses and make that my prayer throughout the week. Um, And it's actually been really good for me. That is up until this last week, and I came to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 has been a challenge for me, and that is because Psalm 63 is a love song. So last week, Psalm 13 was a lament. And I, I'm comfortable with that. I can bring my pain, I can bring my sorrow to the Lord. And that's comfortable. A few weeks ago was Psalm 46. And it looks at the greatness of God's kingdom compared to the kingdoms of this world. And again, I can do that. I'm comfortable with that. But Psalm 63 is this love song and it drips with intimacy. It's this deep, personal cry, and for me, that is a little uncomfortable. And I'll just tell you the verse that kind of stopped me in my tracks as I was reading Psalm 63 is verse 3, where it says, your love is better than life. And I just stopped there, and I'm like, can I, can I say that? Can I like really say that and, and mean that? And I thought, you know, I think I can get there. You know, I think I can reason it out in my mind, like, okay, God, God made me, he loves me, he sent Christ for me. You know, if I think about it, you know, yeah, God's love is better than life. But, is, but do I feel it? You know, is that the cry of my heart? And so I've been thinking, that, thinking about that over the past week and about like what I could compare it to. And so there is another love song, perhaps you've heard this one. It came out in 2013 and it swept the nation. Um, It was John Legend's All of Me. Have you guys heard this song? It's like, all of me loves all of you. 
Yeah, okay, that's enough, that's enough. <laughs> so you got, you, you've probably all heard that song. Um, so it's this deep, personal love song. You know, John Legend wrote that for his fiance at the time, now wife, as this deep, personal, intimate song. Actually, it was a wedding gift to her. And so just to give us a little more flavor of this song, I want us to look at a couple more lyrics here on the screen. What John Legend wrote to her was, What's going on in that beautiful mind? I'm on your magical mystery ride. And I've tried to make that sound natural for me to say that. I've, I've actually, I've said that to my wife five or six times this week, and every time she just looks at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm on your magical mystery ride. I mean... And it's just awkward. And that's the feeling I get reading this psalm. It's, it's again, it's deeply personal. It's, it's intimate. And for me to try to read this psalm and make it my own, it feels a little awkward. It's a little uncomfortable. And for David, it wasn't. This was the most natural thing he could say. And that's because David loved being with God. He loved spending time with God. And as we read through the Psalms, we see it. And it's not even necessarily the content of each Psalm, but just the way he expresses himself. He is so open and honest. He is so free. He just lays his heart out there for the Lord. 73 out of the 150 Psalms were written by David. And they are all these deep, personal conversations. And so if you're like me, and maybe you need to grow in your uh, comfortableness, your comfort with this level of intimacy, I think David might be a good mentor for us. So here's the invitation today. Let's, let's see how David got there, and let's see how it turned out for him, and then let's ask ourselves, do we want to go there? And if so, how do we do it? So we're going to do that by looking at one requirement for intimacy and two rewards of intimacy. So we're going to start by looking at that one requirement. And you might be thinking, only one? One requirement? That sounds, that's too good to be true. That's easy. It's not easy. Just wait. So we're going to dive in to verse 1. And this is David. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I'm going to just leave these verses up on the screen. And as you, as you read through this, as you look at this, I just want you to think, if you could summarize this verse in one word, what would it be? Some of you might look at that and it's like, oh, maybe thirst. He says, my soul thirsts for you. Maybe thirst. Maybe need. Sounds like he's in a place of need. Maybe even desperation. The word that comes to mind for me is vulnerability. I believe this is a prayer of vulnerability. And we see it. David comes right out of the gate with, oh, God, you are my God. And then he just keeps on going. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's like David is saying, I need you and nothing else. 
And that is a very vulnerable place to be. So the one requirement for intimacy with God is vulnerability. And that vulnerability starts with thirst. So we're going to talk about that. So just to give us a little context, if you look, if you're reading in your Bibles, you see at the top, this is a Psalm of David in the wilderness in Judah. And so scholars can't quite agree which time this is, but it's most likely one of two times that David is in the wilderness. One time, it might be when he is on the run from King Saul. So Saul is jealous of David. David's getting a lot of attention. He's like, I'm going to track this guy down, and I need to kill him. I need to eliminate him. So it might be that time, or it might be a time where David is on the run from his own son, Absalom. So Absalom has betrayed David. He's trying to get the nation on his side and go against his very own father. And so he's trying to track him down and plotting to kill him. So it's one of these two times. Either way, I would say that we would agree that David is in trouble. This is not a, a, a good place to be. But in the midst of that, so David's in the desert on the run. He has all of these needs, these physical needs that are probably crying out to him. You know, I, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm, I need a way of escape. But that is not what is on David's mind. In the midst of all that, he is focused on his greatest need. He is focused on the thirst of his soul, this deep longing of the soul. And it reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis, he said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I think David understood this. Yeah, there are these physical thirsts, physical desires all around him, but he had this deeper longing inside the soul, these deeper desires. And you might ask, like, what, what are these desires? Um, I think some examples might be love, joy, wholeness, peace, rest. And I think we may get a hint of that, you know, a glimpse of that here on earth. But but it, nothing in this world will ever fully satisfy. And, and David knew that. And let's say we get a sense of that today. Let's say, as we're here, we're saying, you know what, I, I think I agree with that. Maybe there is, there is this deep thirst in my soul that, that nothing in this world can satisfy. If we can acknowledge that, then I think we have a choice. And that choice is, what are we going to do about it? And we basically have two options. Let's say we feel that thirst of the soul, we can either ignore it or we can address it. And so sometimes I think that thirst can come at us like a notification. I don't know how you guys feel about like your cell phone notifications, but I cannot stand notifications. And I turn them off. If there is a buzz or a ding on my phone, something is wrong. It should never buzz or ever ding because I like my notifications shut off. And sometimes I feel like we can approach the thirst of our soul that same way. Like, I just don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel it. I just want it to go away. I'll do whatever it takes to make it be quiet. So maybe I'll just grab my phone. Maybe I'll browse social media. I'm just going to grab a book. I'm going to watch a show. I'm going to listen to a podcast. It's like anything I can do to get away from it. So when we feel that thirst, we can ignore it or we can run or we can address it, and we can take it to God. And like David, say, my soul thirsts for you. 
So what does that look like to take our thirst to God? Well, first let's talk about what it does not look like. It is not just knowing in your mind that God loves you. It is not just being able to acknowledge, you know, Christ died for you. Those are very important things. Don't get me wrong. Like, that is the foundation of the gospel. But God has so much more for us than a head knowledge. He wants our heart. He wants us to taste and see that he is good. So what it is, is actually coming to God and spending time with him. So let's think of it like this. So let's say I just finished a marathon. This is a purely hypothetical situation. I would never actually do this. But let's say I run a marathon and I'm very thirsty at the end. And I come to you and you have a glass of water. And you offer me a drink. You say, here, have a drink. And I look at you and I'm like, oh, that is water. That is cool and refreshing. That is H2O. Two hydrogens, one oxygen, I think. And that is exactly what I need right now. Oh, man, you know, I, I am going to sing about that. And I am going to go read a book about water because that is awesome. Thank you. See you later. If I did that, you would think I was crazy. It's like it's, it's water, you drink it. That's what you do. Um, but that is exactly what we do with God. We diagnose that thirst within our soul, and we talk about the cure all day long, but we rarely come to the waters and drink. We rarely spend time with God. And all the while, he beckons us. He says, come and drink. Isaiah 55.1 says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come and drink. There's a song we sing sometimes that says, have you come to the end of yourself. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. He's saying, come and drink. So here is my prayer for us, that when we feel that thirst of the soul, may we not disregard it as a nuisance, but may we welcome it as a gift. Because that thirst of the soul, that's God. He's knocking on our soul. He's saying, come, come to the water. It's Jesus. It's Jesus is calling, saying, come and drink. So when we come to the waters, when we say, I'm thirsty, and we come and drink, that is vulnerability. So Brene Brown is a vulnerability researcher and expert. And so this is how she defines vulnerability. She says it's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. And for me, I think of it like this. It's being able to say, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. That is vulnerability. So you might ask, you know, well, what does that look like practically? Like on a day-to-day -day basis, what does it look like to be vulnerable? And so Brene Brown, actually in her research, she asked people, She's like, finish this sentence, vulnerability is blank. And she got tons of responses. And so I just have like, I have a few here that I'd like for us to look at. So vulnerability is asking for help. Vulnerability is calling a friend whose child just died. Signing my mom up for hospice care. Getting pregnant after three miscarriages. Exercising in public. Admitting I'm afraid. Asking for forgiveness. Having faith. 
So these are all ways that we can be vulnerable with one another. But I think we can take this same list and be vulnerable with God. And it might look something like this. You know, vulnerability is asking God for help. Telling God how nervous I am about calling my friend. Telling God how I dread signing my mom up for hospice. Talking to God about my fear and conflicted spirit as we think about getting pregnant again. Being honest with God about not wanting to exercise in public. Admitting to God I'm afraid. Asking God for forgiveness. And as I do this, all the while, trusting God will answer that he will meet me when I come to him and tell him all these things. Vulnerability admits I need God, and then it finds time and space to be with him. And when we do that, when we are able to find time and space to be with God, he will meet us. And that is what we see in Psalm 63. David is vulnerable. He says, you are my God, my soul thirsts for you. And in the rest of this song, we see David's soul go from a place of emptiness and thirst to a place of fullness and from a place of weariness to rest as he meets with God. So the first reward of intimacy is going from dryness to fullness. And we'll pick it up in verse 2. He says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So what is David doing here? He's reflecting back, and he's thinking about times he's spent with the people of God in the presence of God. He says, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. And he's not thinking of times that he just went, kind of spent some time, went home. No, it says it, these are times that he was beholding your power and glory. And to behold is to take it all in. It's to drink it in. David beholds the Lord. So Tim Keller talks about what it means to behold Jesus. He says, to behold the glory of Jesus means a different kind of prayer. It's a kind of prayer in which we are not simply coming to him to get his forgiveness, his help for our needs, his favor and blessing. Rather, the consideration of his character, words, and work on our behalf becomes inherently satisfying, enjoyable, comforting, and strengthening. And that very thing is what we see happening for David right here. I mean, put yourself in his place. He's in the desert, on the run, in this dry and weary place where there is no water. He's weak. But then in his mind's eye, he beholds the power and the glory of the Lord. And he just stays there. And as, as he considers his character, his works on his behalf, his words, it starts to satisfy, comfort, strengthen him. It's like his soul is filling up. And in that moment, as his soul is filling up, he can't help but express it. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. It's like this cry of his heart. And there's that line that makes me uncomfortable. 
But David can say it because that is what his heart is full of. In Luke, Jesus, Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And that's exactly what David does here. His heart is full of just the joy of the presence of God. And so he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He says, my soul will be satisfied. And that word soul actually shows up three times in the eight verses that we're looking at today. And that it, it really conveys this like all of me, all of my being, inside and out, my soul. And the first time we actually already looked at it, he says, my soul thirsts for you. All of me thirsts for you. And then here he says, my soul will be satisfied. All of me will be satisfied. So we see David go from this all of me thirsty to this all of me satisfied. And it reminds me of something. So my kids are into comic books. One that my daughter really likes is this science comic about cats. I'm sure all of us have read this. No, probably nobody. But um, so it's actually really great. And as I was looking at this with her, it really struck me. I think we get a really good picture, actually, of this all of me thirsty and this all of me full. So we're going to look at it together here. I'm just going to read a couple pages. So this first page is the all of me thirsty. So we see this cat up on the screen. And so this is what he says. He says, the first thing I remember is being hungry. The second thing I remember is wanting to fix that. I didn't know where I was or how I got there. I was just a lone little kitty with an empty little tummy. I think we can all relate to that, right? So, so this is this all of me thirsty. And you can see this look on this cat's face like I'm thirsty and I don't like it. And so then we get to the all of me full page. So somehow this cat and a whole bunch of cats have had a feast. I don't know where they got it, but they got lots of food. And so here's what it says. It says, there was so much to go around. Not a single one of those cats looked hungry. What's more, they were getting along. Cats are solitary. They're territorial. They barely communicate. But somehow, when their needs are met, their nature can change. Somehow, when their needs are met, their nature can change. So like I said, I can relate to this cat. This cat is me. When I am thirsty, I'm a lone little kitty with an empty little tummy. And all I see is all my needs and all my thirst. And I'm like, I, I need love. I need peace. I need comfort. I need rest. It's me, me, me. I need. And so watch out. But when I can feast at the table of the Lord, when I can spend time in the presence of the Lord, somehow my needs are met and my nature can change. And I can approach the world, my work, my family, my wife differently. I approach them from a place of fullness instead of a place of thirst. And it changes everything. It, and it's made me uh, think about this verse. Uh, let's look at it together. 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because he first loved us. 
And I think, what a beautiful design. God knows I need, I am worthless in this place of need. So he says, you know what, I'm going to love you. Now I can love other people. I love because he first loved me. We love because he first loved us. When God's love fills us, it satisfies us, and it frees us to love others. We are free to listen and not condemn. We are free to engage and not retreat. We are free to love. So the first reward of intimacy with God is we go from dryness to fullness. The next reward, the second reward, is we go from weariness to rest. And so we'll look at it in verse 6. It says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So earlier we saw how David beheld the power and glory of the Lord in the sanctuary. And now we see David behold the power and the glory of the Lord in the desert. And is there any more vulnerable place than your bed? He says, I remember you upon my bed. And I meditate on you in the watches of the night. As he is standing guard over his men, he is thinking about the power and the glory of God. And the same thing we, have, we saw happen before, it happens again. It's like his soul just starts to fill up as he remembers the faithfulness of God, all that God has done on his behalf. Again, his soul, his soul fills up and the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So he says, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I mean, David's enemies are after him, but he will sing for joy because the Lord is with him. And then we get to this third time that we see that word soul. Again, all of me, all of my being. And here's what he says. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And again, what a picture of intimacy. My soul clings to you. And he says, your right hand upholds me. And the right hand of God represents his strength, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his blessing. He says, you, your right hand upholds me. And so as he, you know, sits and rests with God, this weary soul finds rest. And now in verse 1, he said, you know, a dry and weary land where there is no water. And we've seen a complete transformation. That dryness replaced with fullness, that weariness replaced with rest. Because the water of the Lord's presence has been with David, is with David, and his soul, all of him, is restored. So now we see, we see what that can look like. And so I think the question for us is, do, do we want that? Do we want to experience that kind of closeness, that intimacy with God? And if so, do you feel it? Do you feel like you're there? Do you feel like you can cry out, your love is better than life. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Your right hand upholds me. Are we there? 
So a few weeks ago, things started to loosen up a little bit with this whole COVID-19 situation. Um, and so prior to that, it was actually, I, I was actually home quite a bit. Because of my work, I actually could only work two days a week, and I was home five days a week. And it was actually this really sweet time for our family. And, and so it was awesome. And then right at the end of that, we actually had a week of vacation. And then all of a sudden, things started to loosen, and my work's like, all right, five days a week, let's go. And so I got back, and it was probably the busiest week of work that I've ever had. And I felt it. Like, I came home, and I was exhausted. I would try to, like, sit on the couch and read to my kids, and I'd be falling asleep. But that was just my, my new routine. I'd wake up early, get to work, work hard, come home, get the kids to bed, go to bed. Get up, wake up early, go to work, work hard, come home, get the kids to bed, go to bed. And so after a week of this, you know, not very long, but distance started to grow between my, my wife and me, between Mel and me. And, you know, we talked less, we hung out less, we laughed less. And so finally it got to this break, breaking point that she just called me out on it. And she pulled me aside and she's like, I feel like I don't know what's going on in your world right now. She said, we're not talking. We're not spending time together. And she said, I'm not okay with that. And for her to say that took vulnerability on her part. But it was a risk she had to take because intimacy was being threatened. Distance was starting to creep in, and she was not okay with that. And so for me to hear that, that was like, that was a tough pill to swallow. You know, I don't like hearing that. But as she said it, I'm like, you know what? You're right. Yeah, this is not good. This, we can't keep going on like this. And so we just decided, you know, no matter how busy the days get, we have to make time for each other. And I think that same thing can happen with God. Intimacy can be threatened. Distance creep in. And I have to come to a point where I say, I am not okay with that. No matter how busy the days get, I have to make time to be with him. Another thing, another quote uh, from Brene Brown, she says, staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. And I think that this is so true with God. We have to stay vulnerable. That's a risk we have to take if we're going to stay connected with God. And I really think that first word is the key, staying vulnerable. It's not one vulnerable prayer 10 years ago, and then, yep, we're still just as tight. We're still as close with God. We have 73 Psalms of David 73 personal, deep, intimate conversations. And that's just the ones we have recorded. There's probably many more. And that's because God designed us to need him every second of the day. I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And why? Because that thirst is new every day. Every day there's new afflictions, new worries, new fears, new concerns, new challenges. That thirst of my soul hits me a little bit differently every day. But if I come to him, he will 
meet me. If we come to him, he will meet us. And we see his faithfulness throughout Scripture. You know, the people of God, they're in the wilderness, and the manna is fresh every day. And when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And in Lamentations chapter 3, the writer of Lamentations, in, in verse 20, he feels the thirst of his soul, and he says, my soul continually remembers it. He's like, my, my thirst, that thirst is always in front of me. My soul continually sees my afflictions, continually feels that weight, that thirst, that dryness. But then in verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It's like, you know, he can feel it. Man, the thirst of my soul is new every morning. But man, that, that's just Jesus calling me. That's just the call of the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. And so will we come to him? Will we come to the waters and drink? Let's pray.